listening to First Church Charlotte. within the human story as regards one to one to another. When someone sets about to commit, they plan it, they intend it, and they murder. So up till now, these religious leaders, don't forget that, these good men, quote unquote good, these experts of mosaic law and civic, mosaic civil order, uh, they are now Going from being leaders and teachers, in one jump, they go all the way to perhaps, you might would say, the greatest depravity of human evil, where they come up with a scheme. We are going to kill them, and we are going to come up with a plan. So that's the first dramatic plot in this in this passage of scripture the second thing uh, is uh, mary and we're going to come back to these so i just want to get us all on the same page the second subplot is mary uh, decides to anoint Jesus. Uh, Jesus is at the house of Simon, the leper who was healed. And as he was dining there, Mary comes in and we, we see her bearing this, this alabaster box. And we know it's Mary because John identifies her in chapter number 11 and also in chapter number 12 of his gospel. Mary comes in and she brings this alabaster box and there is there is this uh, awkwardness in this expression. Why? Uh, well, the alabaster box was a form of investment in the time. It's It would be kind of like an asset class. Uh, it would take take approximately a year of a normal laborer's wage. Think about that. A normal normal laborer works for a year. That's about what the wage of this alabaster box would be. So not, not insignificant. Um, I think over half of, of Americans uh, would struggle to pay a surprise $500 uh, bill. And here you have someone anointing Jesus with a whole year's work of their, of their labor. And so Mary, in this supreme act of love, she does something that is uh, almost like the act of a prodigal. It, it, it seems so outsized. It seems so unexpected. It's this, this whole, uh, we have to assume it was, uh, if not all, the, the larger portion of her uh, savings or, or, or the like. And she takes this and publicly she anoints Jesus with this. And it is a moment of scripture that is celebrated for all time. And uh, we'll come back to that. Thirdly, the third dramatic plot that's happening here is Judas agrees. He makes his plan to betray Jesus. And the Bible says in verse number 11, he sought how he might conveniently betray Jesus. That's the third thing that happens. Now the fourth subplot, action moment, a dramatic picture, is Jesus sending his disciples to prepare for everything that would come to be. It's not simply a place to have Passover. I want you to notice this. It's not simply a place to have Passover. It is written like that. But this is the place where the whole of the outpouring to come the whole birthing of the church age, this upper room will become the birthing room of the church. 
And so when Jesus tells his disciples, I need you to go and um, find this place, and it's going to be a miraculous symbol of where you should be. Go into the city, Jesus says. A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said, and they prepared the Passover. There is now a place. So four things have happened. Uh, during the Passover, the, na- the, the city swells to two to three times its normal size because Jews from all the region come in to celebrate it there. The Passover is a pilgrimage event for this era of the uh, Jewish faithful. And so the city would explode in population, and it would be so full that all of the uh, area around the city on the outside, outside of the walls, uh, this will be filled with literally thousands of tents and cooking fires as people come to celebrate. They can't afford lodgings in the city. Uh, This is how in 70 AD, when the Roman army comes down to destroy Israel, uh, there's like 90,000, if I remember right, uh, I just used this recently uh, teaching, uh, 90,000 Jews are killed outside the walls of the city during the same time because they're, they're not inside the walls and they're trapped outside. That gives you an idea of how overcrowded this city is during the Passover. Here's a man who has a large room furnished and prepared. What is it furnished for and what is it prepared for? You have to believe. Now, we're not doing doctrine here. We're just talking how the world works, okay? You have to believe this is a large upper room furnished and prepared to be leased or rented out for the Passover. And Jesus sends word to this man saying, the teacher would have you to know uh, we need we need a place. And the man changes his business plans. Isn't it interesting that God will only move in the places that we have prepared to receive him? If there's no room in our life, it's not just the Christmas story where there's no room. The truth is, in a lot of our ordinary living, there's just not enough room. And we could bless ourselves and our children and our spouse and every element of our life if we would say, I had set this aside for all this and this and the other, but I'm going to take this time and I'm going to set aside some time for Almighty God. Think about this. What if the man had been unwilling to heed the words of the master. Jesus would once more have come to a place with no room. But then the prophetic image and symbol would be broken. There's no room when Jesus comes to the world. But once he is here, oh hallelujah, I feel the spirit of the Lord. Once he's here, it is deemed and ordained that there will be, the church is ordained, preordained. There is going to be a people who make room for Jesus. 
When he came, there was no room. But when his work is done, praise the Lord, there's going to be a people who will say, come into my upper room, Lord Jesus. I had other plans for this room. I thought I was going to rent it out. I thought I was going to make some money on it. But now that you need it, I'm here to tell you, you can take this room for whatever you need. Thus, the prophetic picture is completed. He came to no space. But when he was finished with his work, there was a place. This is the same upper room. The same upper room. Fifty days later. Well, actually, 52 days later. They're going to be having a great move of the Lord. And the Holy Ghost is going to fall in this same upper room. Now, consider the heart of that man. He's already given up his profit potential. And they're using it for the Passover. But he's not in a hurry to move God out of what he has set aside unto the Lord. And 50 days later, they're still having a prayer meeting in that man's room. Four things happen. So, what's interesting about these is all of these people with the exception perhaps of, of Judas, and uh, I, I, I tend to try to, to see Judas in, a, uh, in as fair a light as possible. Um, but interestingly, um, all of these four people, two of them do things that are right things, two of them do things that are wrong things, or two pictures, shall we say, show people. People doing the wrong. Um, it reminds me of the parable, you know, when the Lord comes, two will be working in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. So you have these four images. What do we do now? Uh, so there's a few things that I want you to see. Uh, even Judas, um, Judas is the only one that you can say he may have been intentionally doing the wrong thing. Um, I think it would probably be fairer to him. I, I believe Judas always had integrity problems. But I know lots of people, well, not lots of people, but I know people with integrity problems that can still be moved on and can still be uh, do good things and try. It's just the, it's the grind that gets them, not the moment. You know what I mean? And so uh, Judas, um, he there, there's a very good chance that he thought he was uh, pressured Jesus into a conflict with the Romans, thereby enabling the zealots to lead revolution against uh, the Roman overseers, and that may have been. I want you to see how, uh, look, looking, looking at these people, we have we have the the lawyers, the scribes, and Pharisees, the religious leaders. Let's call that group number one. We have Judas, okay, or we have Mary. Number two, Mary, um, who is breaking the alabaster box. Number three, who do we have? We have the uh, we have Judas, and number four, we have uh, the preparation for uh, the feast of the Passover, and we have this procurement of this upper room. Four things are happening. Uh, everybody is, with the exception of Judas, and we just don't know. Everybody is trying to do the right thing. I want you to see this because in our lives, our actions um, are a second order event. Our beliefs are what define our actions. And that's why I entitled this beliefs and consequences. So why did the, why have the religious leaders, the elite, the, 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 the clergy, why have they finally agreed we are going to commit capital, first degree murder against Jesus. Why have they arrived at this moment? It's because of what they believe. They believe Jesus is destroying what it means 
to be a Jew. And they think if Jesus' version of religion is adopted, it will destroy everything. They sincerely believe this. They believe that if we do not keep things the way they are, uh, it's going to destroy everything we, we stand for. Some of them may have simply been selfishly motivated that I want to stay in charge, and if Jesus, you know, if this new idea of serving God and worship, etc., and then, then I won't be, maybe there was some of that in there, but there was a lot of it that just concern on what this means. You know, Jesus, what, 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 if, we, what, what if we just let the sinners come in and sit down by the, by, by, by the good people? You know, it'll destroy what it means to be uh, right and uh, what, what if we stop bringing judgment to the harlots? I mean, uh, <laughs> what if we just, it's going to destroy the righteous. We're destroy. They are choosing a path based on their beliefs. That's the first order. They have come to believe Jesus is a threat. They have come to believe that Jesus will destroy religion as they have known it. They believe that Jesus is in some way um, committing uh, blasphemy in his claims. They believe it must be done and they don't even feel bad about it at this point because by their own law, they claim the right to put to death the blasphemer. Do you see? Their beliefs have set them up for this great error. Okay? That's number one. Number two, you see Mary. And Mary knows Jesus is going to die. Why? Because Jesus has been telling the disciples for weeks. Uh, the disciples are greatly amazed when Jesus goes to Jerusalem. They, 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 they follow him there in awe. We talked about that because he's going to die. And they see the, 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 the manner in which Jesus is causing trouble, general trouble about the temple. And anybody with a sense is thinking, my Lord, you, you, these people will kill you. And so she sees, she knows, all she has to do to know what is next is believe Jesus. And can you imagine her sense of powerlessness? If you ever, have a, as a believer, have, have tried to do something and just it just seemed like nothing mattered and you felt so powerless, I want you to see uh, Mary. I want you to see Mary in this moment of powerlessness. What, what can I do? The, the, if Peter and John can't talk Jesus out of crucifixion, I, that, there's no point in me saying anything, but we need him. The world needs him. No one's ever spoke like him. Nobody listens to me. I know the feeling, Sister Mary. I know the feeling. (laughs) In her powerlessness, what is she going to do? Well, she can be passive-aggressive. That's what a lot of people do. You'd be shocked. They get they get you know pouty if people don't do what they think they should do. They get pouty and they 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 get passive-aggressive against a preacher, and then they stop coming to church for a while to see if that works. And and then they go around and they try to recruit other people to buy into their view because you really really know you're right when your three friends agree with you. You know, you don't really need to know what God thinks. Just find out what your friends thinks, and you're on the straight and narrow. And um, you know, you, all these things. What do you do when you feel powerless? When you don't understand, Mary can surely does not understand. But she believes Jesus is the Son of God. She believes Jesus is the Messiah. And it is almost as though in her heart, her beliefs establish her offering. 
if you're really going to see Jesus as unlike anyone else, and you're really going to believe he is above all, he is the mighty God, and you can't understand, and it doesn't make sense to you, and why would you do this, Jesus, and why don't you listen to Peter? Peter told you not to do it, and, and John, and why, if they can, there's nothing to do, but I still believe. You see, her beliefs are what prompt her to take her most valuable possession and go into the presence of Jesus at this dinner and there to publicly anoint him and wash his feet, which was uh, uh, culturally a little bit awkward, which I won't get into tonight, but there's Jewish symbolism there. And, and she does this, and the disciples are furious. The Bible says, you can read it, the Bible says, they rebuked her sharply. That's the biblical word, sharply. You know, all she knows is she doesn't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. But love never faileth. Do you see this worship, this moment of worship? I don't understand. I can't explain it. I can't fix it. Nobody listens to me. So what will I do? Well, <laughs> love never fails. And so she takes her most valuable asset, her most valuable uh, security, and she takes it and makes an offering of it to Jesus. Jesus stops the sharp criticism. And he says, he says so, so beautifully uh, in this moment, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Why is she doing this? Her beliefs have prompted her to do this. Now you have Judas. Judas, we, as, as, as you guys know, I've taught, taught before, uh, probably was a zealot. He seems to be associated with them. Maybe he was doing the right thing. Maybe he was simply uh, a problem with a he had a problem with integrity, and, and he was always looking to flake out, you know, always looking for plan B, whatever. We'll just let, whatever it is, he, he, he has gone and he has, he has arranged a betrayal. And there's no way you can make this look good. The best you can do is, is give him the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe he was trying to do something for the zealots and prompting a conflict. He knew Jesus had power. He knew Jesus could do nearly anything. Maybe that was it. Maybe he believed Jesus was going to die and he, he might as well get something for himself out of it. Whatever the case, his beliefs about his opportunities, his beliefs about what would be the best thing have prompted a set of actions in his life. And finally, the fourth image, the disciples are told to go and find this place of the Passover. You have uh, the disciples themselves going and asking, and you have this unnamed man himself agreeing to allow this. And you have a commandment from the Lord, and you have this uh, dutiful obedience from the disciples, and in its same, in the same manner, they are obedient and they are dutifully following the instruction of the Lord. As a result of their beliefs, their actions are a result of their beliefs. Now, um, we a lot of times, you know, talk a lot about choices. You know, first you make your decisions, and then your decisions make you. And that's right. Uh, but I want to. 
back up from that. And I want us all to see that a lot of times our actions spring out of a continuing set of beliefs that we have nurtured and we have begun to hold tightly to. And we believe this, but then it doesn't, uh, it creates this conflict. And so out of our frustration, we take action. Do you see what I'm saying? I believe this, but I'm getting, it's not really, and so I get more and more frustrated. I get more and more, and finally, out of that frustration, I take actions that my beliefs have already aligned me to, like the guidance system on some type of a missile. My beliefs have put me on this target, and now when the moment of maximum tension comes, when the frustration rises, now I'm launched on an action that I did not think it through. My beliefs were always setting me up for this action. Uh, the, 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 the religious leaders were always going to end up at cross purposes to Jesus Christ because they had missed what the purpose of God's people was for the world. And, and so it is that, that, that Mary, if her, her love always was pre predisposing her to do something for the Lord. Do you see? She was already primed and predisposed to do something. She just had not yet decided what she was going to do. And Judas, he was already a schemer. He was already playing the angles. He was already calculating the odds. It did not matter what he would do. He was primed and prepared. He was the mousetrap that was already sprung. And all he was waiting for is something to bump the cheese. And boom, he is who he is. His belief system have created the downstream actions. And finally, the disciples who don't know what's happening, all they know is, I'm committed to Jesus. As long as he has something for me to do, I'm going to do it. And here's this man who knows that Jesus is the teacher. He knows Jesus. That's why Jesus, I believe, uh, Jesus makes no name introduction, simply says the teacher. And this man knows who they're talking about. Uh, So there's some type of association there. Whatever I can do. I had other plans. I had other plans. But if you need it, here it is. I'd rather let you use it than use it for myself. Their beliefs have set them up and pre-tensioned them like a spring. And then they react in the direction of their beliefs. You know, uh, I've seen people damage the work of God. But, uh, and I, I suspected it was going to happen before it ever happened because their beliefs had predisposed them. And I was just waiting for the final straw. And then, boom, off they go and damage is done. I've seen people um, with terrible tempers. I didn't know when was the moment going to be that they went too far and um, their wife said that was enough. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I knew they were pretensioned. Do you see? Their, their being, their beliefs, their, their, their habits of self-discipline, they were pretensioned for this moment when finally their wife made them mad enough and then they did something stupid and now they want me to come get the restraining order taken off of them. You know what I say? No. I didn't put it on you. I ain't taking it off of you. I couldn't if I tried. Call the judge. Now, if you'd like to come to church and repent for being ignorant, that's different. Do you see what I'm saying? They, have, they were pretensioned for this. And so this matters. Now, when you look at these, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about this today. Is there anything, when we look at the two groups of people that go the wrong way, 
I want to start with them, and I want to end with the two that went the, the right way. The two groups that go the wrong way. The leaders, the religious elite who decide to kill Jesus, they scheme and they, 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 they literally first-degree murder. They start the scheme to kill Jesus. Is there anything, is there some character element that if they would have had within them, they would have been saved from their beliefs. Remember, their beliefs have pre-sprung them, pre-tensioned them, loaded them up for this error. But is there some character element that would have saved them if they only would have had it? If there's something that they're so, their beliefs, they believe Jesus is a threat. They believe he's destroying the Jewish faith. They believe he is blaspheming God. They believe he is destroying the mosaic uh, gift of, of, of Jewish culture and law and civic duty. Is there any character element that could have saved them even though they were pre-tensioned and strung and loaded to try to do this. And the only thing I think of that I can think of that could have saved them is if any of them could have humbled themselves and changed the culture and said what Gamaliel will say in a few, not too many days. And that is this. We don't know if he's of God or not. But if he is, uh, if he's not of God, it won't amount to anything. And if he is of God, we don't want to get in a fight with God. Do you see the humility in that? The one character uh, element that might have saved them in spite of their being pretensioned to try to kill Jesus, is if they could have just humbled themselves and said, you know, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe, maybe I, I just don't, I don't think we should do this. Look, we've had, you see how that would have changed it? How different would it have been for Judas if Judas could have just humbled himself do you see? That's the only character element. You see, because these people believe. They have strong beliefs. And when you believe something, man, you are prone to take action if you believe something. You, you see? I mean, you're prone to... Okay, so Judas, he, he, however he got here, is there anything that could have saved him? These religious... Is there anything that could have stopped them? And the thing I come back to is if they could have humbled themselves and said, maybe I don't know everything. So um, I'm not going to pick up... A, uh, I'm not going to take murder into my heart. Um, Maybe I don't understand what he's doing. Maybe only thing I've heard him say have been in a way that I am uh, in some way uh, prejudiced against and I I couldn't have a fair hearing. I I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not going to take up murder in my heart. Humility might have saved them. Humility might have saved Judas. When he rushed out to do what he was going to do. He might should have, if, if there's some element of his personality, maybe humility could have said, now just slow down. You see, the Roman Empire was already there. Jesus didn't have to have only one thing to happen. He could have worked out his, read the Bible, he's always going around and making this happen and making this happen. But they became participants. So uh, applying that, first of all, I want to say to all of us, um, before you speak against anybody or anything, humble yourself. Uh, damage can be done when people get a belief you are com- you absolutely convinced in your heart that uh, who can I pick on without offending anybody who can I- I'm going to always pick on one of these guys over here you convinced in your heart that uh, Don just 
needs his mother to give him another beating. (laughs) And you're convinced. And you believe it with every bone in your body. Brother Don did not get enough spankings as a teenager. You believe it, you believe it, you believe it. But honey, you don't know. His mom might have beat him like my mom beat me. (laughs) You don't know. Our church is not perfect. We're not. We're a good church. But we're not perfect. You can begin to believe anything you want to believe about the church. You can come to believe anything you want to believe about me. Okay? But before you trash the church or trash me, you see your beliefs have preloaded you, pre-tensioned you, pre-stressed you to have this reaction. That's you and all your friends. You've been preloaded. You know what Mike could save us? Is if right when that moment comes, we say, "Ah, let me just calm down. Maybe I don't know as much as I know. You see, um, I pray that I would have that element in my life. That when I come to the point of maximum pre-tensioning and pre-loading and I'm like wound up like I can just whoa, 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 whoa. I want to have clean hands and I want to have a pure heart. Now, lastly, there's two groups of people that did the right things. You have Mary Magdalene uh, undoubtedly frustrated that Jesus is going through with this thing. Undoubtedly agreeing with the disciples, this can't be happening. But I believe him. He's not a liar. He said he's going to do it. It's going to happen. What can I do? Out of her comes, I want you to see this as the ultimate act of worship and love. This is not about salvation. If you're always calculating your life in terms of, can I do this and go to heaven? Oh, Lord, I I just don't even know. I I don't even know. I, 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 I don't know. You're missing it so bad. The greatest things we do for the kingdom of God are not about saved or lost. They're about our hearts. And I want to give something. And I want to do something. And I want to show something. This moment of Mary Magdalene literally is her just saying, I want to to do something. What can I do? I have an idea. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't even care. I just don't care. I'm going to do this. Okay, and then finally, that's one hand. That's this overwhelming act of love toward the Lord. On the other hand, you have the stoic and silent obedience of the disciples. You want me to go here? I'm on my way. You want me to say this? I'm on my way. You want me to get this? I'm on my way. And you have the heart of the property owner who says, Jesus needs it? Sure, it's Jesus's. Okay, so... Um, I can't tell these stories without talking about the beauty of consecration in our life. We all of us need to have consecration in our life. Remember, most consecration is not about saved and lost. That is oversimplifying. That's missing the point. You see, that creates this error that you can earn a salvation by some act that you do. And that, that's, that's, that's really shallow theology. Salvation is God's gift, and we access that through faith and through the obedience of his word. But everything we do in our life becomes love. It becomes an worship. It becomes glory to God. Now, obviously, there are, of course, uh, sinful lifestyles uh, that will separate us from God. 
Um, but I don't have time to get into that tonight. Uh, I just want you to understand, we must be challenged by this picture of Mary bringing this alabaster box. She's not looking to see how little she can do. She's doing more than anybody, even the disciples, thinks makes sense. She is pouring herself out. Great churches attract an element of people who want to live that way. They want to give God everything. Their choices may not always make perfect sense to, uh, you know, all of us. But they hunger and they thirst. They just want to give everything. They just, it just attracts them. Uh, and there is beauty in that. But even when we do not feel that overwhelming moment of, I've got to do something now, like Mary did, let it still be said of us that whatever you need, Jesus, I'm on my way. Wherever you want me to go, Jesus, I'm going on my way. Whatever you want me to look for, Jesus, I'm looking every day. I'm walking on. That's the disciples. And then you have the gentleman, the property owner, who says, if the Lord has need of it, then let me step aside and say, this is for you. Mi casa, su casa. Don't you want to be that way? Don't you want to live that way? Let's all stand. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you for their sincere hearts. I thank you for the blessings that you have placed within all of our lives. Lord, I pray that we would we would be your people, sheep of your pasture. That we would be wise and, and also harmless, Lord. We would have a sense of the appropriate. Uh, we'd also have a sense of humility to save ourselves from the inappropriate. Lord Jesus, I pray you would bless our, our efforts. Uh, none of our efforts are perfect. They're all filled with the flaws of humanity. But Lord Jesus, it's what we, it's what we can do. It's what we are engaged in. Every ministry of this church, Lord, whether it's children's ministries or student ministries or uh, Prosper University or uh, our, our weekend worship services that are only made possible by all the working of our volunteers, our Sunday school teachers, our ushers, our, our praise band, every, everything, God. I pray your blessing upon them all. And I pray you would allow us to learn from both examples where we're given everything and when it moves in our spirit and we're also day by day following your instructions. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you all. Find somebody and hug their neck before you're dismissed. We appreciate you all. We want the Lord to have great work and blessing upon you this week. Men, remember what's happening Saturday. Our friends, God bless you all. We love you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. And Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter 
We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.